0: The scripture reading this morning will be from Colossians 2.20 to 3, four. Please follow along in your Bibles. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with with the commandments and teachings of man. These are matters which do have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Take out your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 6. Today, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 24. And I've titled this sermon, A Single Focused Heart. Let me read and verse 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is... There, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the light? Or darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. In this passage, we find ourselves sitting on the side of a mountain, on the side of a hill, looking out and upward at the greatest person, the most brilliant preacher who ever walked the face of this earth. And we are listening to the greatest heart-piercing sermon ever given this person, this preacher, is God in flesh, Jesus Christ. And this sermon is often called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first sermon in the, year, in the second year of his ministry after he has called his disciples. This mountain is not a specific place, but more of a general area in Galilee. It would be best for us to envision a countryside, a hill, hill, hill the hill country with a combination of rolling hills and flat plains, with birds of the sky and lilies filling the fields. It is also important for us to note that this hill country is often mentioned in all of the Gospels as the mountain. I highlight this because this mountain, this hill country was often the place Jesus went to to get away, to engage and pray to His Father. Matthew 5.1 and Matthew 7.28 tells us who's all in attendance here, who this sermon is directed towards. This sermon is aimed at all who follow Christ. First and foremost, it's to the 12 disciples. These men gave up everything to follow Jesus. They gave up their families, their homes, their businesses, their income. They gave up absolutely everything to follow him. Second, we also see there's large crowds following him and listening in. These people came from all over the region. They're people that are suffering, afflicted, needy, and oppressed. They didn't didn't have anything, and they needed this Jesus. And so they followed him. Lastly, this sermon is for us. We are sitting on this mountain too. If you say you're a follower of Jesus... You must listen to this sermon because Jesus is preaching about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is delineating what it looks like to be a true follower of him. This sermon is completely and utterly countercultural. Jesus is making a stark contrast between living for the world and li- or living for his kingdom. And he draws a line in the sand And he says, whose side are you on? Jesus is also calling out the rulers, the religious rulers of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. He's calling out what they were teaching and how they are performing their religion. They were lovers of self. They were lovers of their own wisdom. They were lovers of legalism and the law. Lovers of exaltation. Lovers of money. Lovers of the world. Early in the sermon, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so simultaneously, Jesus is telling us how to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. How are we to live in this world and, to be of this, and not to be of this world? It is not a matter of presentation, but of the heart's position. It is not a matter of works righteousness, but of Jesus' righteousness. It is not a matter of this kingdom, but of God's kingdom. Where are you this morning? Where does your heart align? Are you focused on this things of this world? Or are you focused on God and His kingdom? This is what this text is begging us to consider this morning. And how you answer this determines how you will live and for who you will live. I've divided our passage into three headings, as you can see on your gathering guide. The heart's value is the first one, verses 19 through 21. The heart's focus, verses 22 through 23. And the heart's devotion, verses 24. Let's look at the heart's value, verse 19 through 21. Verse 19, do not stop there. We must see that this is a commandment and imperative from God on high. God is the only one who defines his kingdom and directs his citizens. We must stop doing what the world is doing. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. So to store up and the greek means to accumulate, to treasure, to stockpile. So the issue here's is, here is about us accumulating lots and lots of the same thing that we value. Jesus is telling us to stop stockpiling things of this world on this earth. Now, we must understand that this is not about us not having possessions or not having property or investments or savings. This is not a call to empty of yourself of all earthly possessions. No, remember, Jesus is focused on our heart. This is about our heart's attitude towards our possessions. You see, to stockpile, to hoard, is often about ourselves. It is often about getting mine right now. But you also have to see that focusing on getting rid of anything and everything as the way to holiness is just as bad as stockpiling. Why, you might ask? Because it's just the pendulum swing of the same heart. Both of these are focused on the world and ourselves. And this is what our scripture reading in Colossians was warning us about. Our Lord wants us to remove our focus from, the, from ourselves, from the things of this world, and solely value Him So, my question to you is What do you stockpile? What do you cling to? What do you accumulate more and more of and you do not want to let it go? Again, verse 19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. What are these treasures on earth? It's not just money. I say it's any valuable thing of this world that is perishable, that we cling to because we think it will satisfy us. It can be anything. It could be your husband. It could be your wife. It could be your children. It could be work. It could be sex. It could be alcohol. It could be clothes. It could be houses, stuffed animals, or Legos. The list is endless. But it is not just physical things we can treasure. It's so much bigger and so much de- or deeper. We can stockpile affirmation, control, status, power, anger, comfort, just to name a few. We must see clearly that our treasures on earth can be anything that centers on this life, ourselves, or this world. The possibilities are endless and they can be multiple. So what happens to these treasures on earth? Well, it's simple. He tells us, moss and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Jesus is simply making it clear to us that what we treasure here on earth, what we store up, what we do not use will perish will be devoured, will be taken away. Our treasures have no long-lasting satisfaction and certainly will not be taken with us when we die. Now look at verse 20. If 19 is the negative, then 20, verse 20, is the, is the positive. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in or steal. Notice the but. This is in contrast to verse 19, which is in contrast to the scribes and Pharisees, which is in contrast to the Gentiles, which is in contrast to the whole world. Also notice Jesus says there is a good stockpiling of treasures for yourself, but notice the location. It is not here on earth. It is not things of this world. It is in heaven. So what is in heaven that never perishes, that never is consumed, that is never destroyed, that is never stolen, that has always been and always will be? It is God, God eternal. We are being commanded by Jesus to store up our treasures in God, God is our one and only treasure. This is the whole point. Our sole priority, sole focused here on earth, in heaven, is to treasure God. If you are a child of God, you are a citizen of the kingdom, of his kingdom. Therefore, our hearts must value what the the things of God, must value what he values. That is being rich in God, That is pursuing God in his righteousness. That is being generous for God. That is storing up God in your heart. That is being open handed with what you have for his glory. Hold your finger there and turn with me to Matthew 19, 16 through 26. This is the story of the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26. I think this story will help us see a specific example of verse 19. I want us to see a man who treasures things on earth and what is lost when he does so. Verse 16, And someone came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The the young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete or to be perfect, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But then the young man heard this statement. and He went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Than, than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Sorry. Enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. First, we must see this is all about the heart. This is a heart issue for this man. This man's heart value was quickly revealed by Jesus. His first value is his performance. We see this oozing out of him by his question in verse 16 What shall I do that I may attain eternal life? He was proud that he had kept the law, and he was astonished that he was still lacking. Second, he valued his treasures on earth, his possessions, which is most likely linked to his love of status. Third, notice his reaction in verse 22. He was grieved and walked away. His emotion, his grief, indicates what his possessions are, his possessions are what he most values. And him walking away shows what, is most, what he's most devoted to. Please note that our anxiety, grief, anger can be a window into our hearts that can allow us to see what we most value and what we are most fearful of losing. Second thing to notice is Jesus calls this man to faith. Jesus demands the man to give up the treasures of his heart, to break his devotion and become solely devoted to valuing Christ with his whole life including his possessions. This man does not do this. Therefore, he gives up eternal, imperishable riches in Christ for perishable riches now. Third thing to see is that the man selling his possessions and giving to the poor is not what will save him. What will save him is God through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 25 through 26. Disciples were astonished and asked, "When or Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus answers both the rich young ruler's question in verse 16 and the disciples' question here. No one can do anything to be saved. Only God saves through his divine grace. Now jump down to verse 27 through 29. I want to quickly contrast Peter with the rich young ruler and show what is gained when we treasure Christ. Verse 27, Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. The first contrast is... We see Peter and the other disciples, they have already given up all to follow Jesus. They have embarked on a journey of single faith in Christ Jesus. The rich young ruler would not. He refused to do this. The other contrast I want us to see is because Jesus is the disciples' one and only treasure, they will receive a reward in heaven, verses 28. This reward is not now, but will be when Jesus makes all things new, when he returns. The reward in heaven is that they will reign alongside Christ. And they will also receive eternal life, verse 29. The rich young ruler will not have eternal life because he would not place his faith in Jesus. Everyone, everyone, who puts their faith solely in Jesus will receive eternal life. Before we move on to verse 21, I want to let Paul in First Timothy 6, 17 through 19 summarize for us the first two verses of this passage. Paul writes, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Fixing our hope on God and living for Him is storing up treasures in heaven. Now, this brings us us to verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the application of verse 19 and 20. Notice the singularity here. It says, for where your treasure is. Jesus is moving us from the external treasures to a single focus on our heart treasure. And as we will see in verse 24, our heart will be only be gripped by two things: the world or God. Your treasure is a window into what your heart most values. And the heart, mind, and body follows what we treasure. Believer in Christ, what is your treasure? What do you cling to in times of trouble? What occupies your time, thoughts, and money? What causes you to worry or fear? Non-believer of Christ, what is your treasure? Are you willing to give that up completely for life eternal, forever in God's kingdom? You must. You must turn away from the world and your love of it and confess that you love it more than Christ. Christ must be the sole value of your heart to be in his kingdom. Now, the heart's focus. Verses 22 to 23. Jesus so kindly gives us an illustration of verse 21. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, the function of the eye is to see out. It shows us the way like a lamp does. And the eye focuses on on what it sees. It also allows in what we see. So simply put, the eye guides the body, like our treasure guides our heart. The body is almost entirely dependent on our ability to see. Another way to say it is, the eye illumines what the body does. So when our whole body, our whole heart is focused on what our eye is focused on, We tend to move in that direction. So let me stop here a moment. This is why it's so important for us to consider what we take in with our eyes. Whether that be TV, social media, books, movies, images, or the scriptures. What we take in really affects us. It really does shape us. What are your eyes fixed on most of the day? Look again at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. The word for clear in the Greek can be good, can mean to be good, healthy, or single. It is probably best translated single. This is in keeping with Jesus' narrow focus in verse 19 through 21, as well as we will see in verse 24. Single here is the idea of having a single purpose, a single, be single-minded to have an undivided heart. So the clear eye, the good eye, the single eye is the eye or also we could say the heart that is solely focused on God, solely fixated on the kingdom of God. What will be the result of this? We will be full of light. We will be full of God. We will be full of his radiance. What then happens when we are full of light? It spills over and out of us. We do not store it up. We do not hide it under a basket. How can we? Light cannot be contained. Is Christ spilling out of you? When we are single focused on God and his kingdom, we become the light of the world. Matthew 5:14. Now verse 23. Again, Jesus warns us there's another way. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Jesus is saying if our focus is not clearly on him, then our vision is only on things of darkness. This makes us blind people. In the scripture, darkness often res- represents the world. The way of the wicked, Proverbs four nineteen. Again, if your vision is darkness, then you have no light coming in or going out. The whole person is darkness. This is all, all of us in our natural state of being. We are all blind people of, in darkness, living in darkness and wickedness. Unless, unless Jesus Christ has saved you and is living inside you. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He can make the eye see clearly and bring the dead to life. Paul in Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says this. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are a light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by light, by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you." Now look at the last sentence of verse 23. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! Notice the punctuation here. This is an exclamatory statement. This is not a question. Jesus is emphasizing the magnitude and. How all-encompassing this darkness is. Here's the thought. If a person is full of darkness, then there is absolutely no light in him. But this person, in their darkness, might think they see and see clearly. And might think that there is some light in them. But they are deceived. They have deceived themselves. See, darkness makes us ignorant. It is ignorance to think darkness is light. How great is the darkness? How great is the blindness? This is as ridiculous as a blind man believing they can see. This is as ridiculous as as us believing a boy is a girl and a girl is a boy. This is as ridiculous as us believing a piece of wood, carved wood saves us. This is as ridiculous as us believing money satisfies us. This is as ridiculous as us, believing a phone loves us. This is as ridiculous as us, believing pornography is intimacy. This is as ridiculous, as us, believing alcohol relieves us. This is as ridiculous, as us, believing that coming to church makes us a Christian. This is as ridiculous, as us believing we only need ourselves. This is as ridiculous, as us, believing we are Christians, and yet our value, our focus is not on God and His kingdom. How great is the darkness? How great is our blindness? How great is our sin? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. This brings us to verse 24, where we wrestle with our heart's devotion. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or wealth. No one can serve two masters. No one. This is an emphatic statement. This is in totality. This is the complete human race. This is utterly impossible. It is utterly impossible to serve two masters. Well, you might be thinking, well, I have two jobs and I have two bosses and I employed by them and I serve them. This is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about enslavement. We cannot be enslaved to two masters. Jesus is saying we all are slaves and we only have two options for our master. You see, slavery is about single ownership and full-time service to that master. Our Lord is hitting us right in the heart. Our hearts can only be devoted to one master at a time. Jesus explains what happens when we try to switch our masters. He says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Betrayal and division is always the result of us serving more than one God, and that's little g, God. It is nearly impossible to keep a single focused devotion on the, on the things of this world, what this world offers us, and the, mat, the multiple masters that it gives us. are And it beckons us to be loyal to more than just one. And yet, these masters of the world never satisfy us. Not one gives us peace and rest. Not one loves us. Not one remains the same. Not one comes to us. Not one is worthy of our devotion. But there is one that can do all this. That one master is God and God alone. Once again, Jesus narrows our focus by being plain and simple here. He says at the end of verse 24, look at it with me. You cannot serve God and wealth. The ESV says, Mammon. We only have two options to give our hearts to, and you cannot serve both. You can either be devoted to the almighty, holy, sovereign creator, eternal king of the universe, or the minuscule, empty, dark world. What will be your heart's devotion today? Elijah in 1 Kings 18.21 puts it like this. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. You must choose this day and every moment of your life who you're going to follow and serve with a single focus. In closing, believer... Follower of Christ, Jesus is preaching to you and to me. He is calling us to assess our hearts. He is commanding us to have a single focused treasure, a single focused eye, a single focused master. This single focus is on God and his kingdom only. To be solely focused on God, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. We must forsake the world non-believer, you too need to assess your heart. You are living in darkness. You are enslaved to this world and anything your heart desires. You might say this is freedom. How great is your darkness? This is actually a rebellion that leads to death. The scripture says, what profits a man who gains the whole world and loses his soul? Friend, The glorious news is Jesus who is preaching to us now can make the blind see, can remove your darkness and sin, can take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and can save your soul from sin and death. Do not hesitate. Do not delay. Now is the hour of salvation. Turn away from the world and turn to Christ. Cry out to Jesus for your forgiveness of sins. I urge you, I plead with you, Make Jesus your only master. Make him the single focus of your heart. Let us pray. Father, we need you. We are so prone to wander, to move away from you, to fix our eyes on things of this world and not you help us to treasure you help us to set our heart and minds on your on things above help us to be devoted to serving and worshiping you with our whole heart our whole mind our whole body and all our strength oh lord You are the light of the world. May we leave this place reflecting your radiance. Amen.